Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24. It seems like I'm spending a lot of time there. But I like to know what the Bible says about things. I don't really take anybody's word uh, uh, for things. I like to see what the Scripture says. And that's what this book is about. I don't know if I will... uh, mention anything out of it, but it's called Seasons, Signs, and Spiritual Things. And I wrote that very simply to not despise prophesying, but to bring balance and stability uh, to the ministry of prophecy and end times, etc. It seems that we, and I made a note and wrote it this way, it seems that we exaggerate civil events and commotions to make prophetic illusions of every war or social disturbance. Um, Christians should avoid trying to fit passing events into God's secret plans because nobody really knows the future outside of the Word of God. And the Bible says that the Scriptures will interpret themselves says for no private interpretation. Pure Bible uh, interpretation principles is to let the Scriptures speak for themselves and let the Scriptures speak for any and all subjects that you're dealing with. So you can find Scriptures that will reveal the truth of you. And a lot of times um, we hear things, I, I even hear myself say things or think things, And I always run to the scriptures and try to find out, why did I say that? Where did I get that from? Is that true? Uh, Is it not true? Charles Capps used to say, there there is untruth in the Bible. And he said, there's there's lies in the Bible. And uh, he'd get people's attention. And uh, then he'd he'd explain it. Um. He wrote a book called The End Times before he uh, went to heaven. And I was reading it the other day because there was one particular uh, statement that he made. You know, he and his family pretty much built uh, the Assembly of God Church in England, Arkansas. And they were there for many, many years until Charles started teaching things that the Assemblies of God didn't agree with. And they were asked to leave the church. And it took 25 or 30 years, uh, a new pastor came in and researched the history uh, of the church and found out that the Caps family was instrumental in the very beginning of the church all the way up to the present time. So this pastor, he repented and he called a special service and asked the church to be there, that they were going to repent to the Caps family, had them all sitting on the front row. They invited us to come, but we decided it was better for just their family. And we didn't attend. 
But they repented to the Kev's family for the way they were treated and asked them to forgive them. Isn't that amazing? But he said one day he just made the statement. He said, there's nowhere in the New Testament that tells you you have a mansion in heaven. And he said it caused a small riot in the Sunday school department because, you know, everybody knows you have a mansion. I mean, Dottie Rambo wrote a song, just build my mansion next door to Jesus. But that don't make it canon. That doesn't make it right. And, and of course, Charles was a stickler on these kind of things. He, did, he said, I didn't say you wouldn't have a mansion. I just said that the scripture doesn't tell you you'll have a mansion. And we get it out of John's gospel, you know, where it says, Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. And I go there to prepare a place for you. Well, there's all kinds of interpretations as to, you know, what that means. I will prepare a place for you. Well, a place can be just an occupancy. Uh, it could be a room. I know when I was in the Navy, we, our ship would pull into port and we'd go uh, ashore. You could stay at the USO, United Servicemen's uh, Organization. You could stay at the USO for $6 a night, $6. And when you're only getting paid $76 a month, that sounds like a good deal. I can get a room for $6. Now, this was back in the 60s. But the room was like the Bible. It was just a 12 by 12 room. It had a bed, a table, and that was it. <laughs> no bathroom, nothing. If you wanted to go to the bathroom, you had to go down the hall. Uh, there was a community bathroom on each floor. And, but yet, you had a room, and it was dry, and it, it wasn't very comfortable, and it was not very quiet. But it's better than sleeping aboard ship, and it's better than sleeping, you know, outside. But just because uh, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, people assume that, you know, I'm going to have a mansion. And there have been people that have had out-of-body experiences and dreams and visions and said they saw their mansion, their house, and it was all decorated with the kind of furniture they liked. Well, that's all supposition. That's all subject to interpretation. Um, you don't know what your house is going to look like. You don't know whether you're going to have a mansion or not. The Bible doesn't tell you you're going to have one. It just says in my Father's house are many mansions. In the word mansions, there's places, rooms, whatever. So you may have a room. If yours is above mine, be quiet, you know. <laughs> Of course, we won't have to sleep, will we? We won't have to sleep because we'll have glorified bodies. Oh, okay. All that's my introduction. Go to Matthew 24, verse 3. As Jesus sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. And I've, I've read commentary and just kind of tried to imagine what this was like. I've been on the Mount of Olives many times uh, just imagining Jesus sitting there talking to his disciples uh, about the end times. And it says that the disciples came to him privately. Uh, you could assume after everybody else is gone. 
and said, Tell us, when shall these things be? The things that he was talking about. And what shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world or the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Now, that was his first response to their question. And you can amplify that. Take heed that no man deceive you. Deception is a terrible thing. And Jesus was trying to plant in them, to imprint them with the fact that in the future, make sure that you are never deceived into believing the wrong thing. Notice, take heed. Uh, He said, many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, or I was sent by Christ, and deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. Now, you have to see to this. It's not just going to happen. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Famines, earthquakes, uh, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Now, we're living in the midst of of this right now in the 21st century. We're not in the tribulation yet. We're not in the middle of World War III yet. And if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you never will be in the middle of these things. Because after Revelation chapter 4, the church is caught up to meet Christ in the air and forever we will be with the Lord. In other words, we're going to be caught up, snatched up, meet Jesus in the air before the tribulation, before World War III, before all these things start happening. Now we have wars and rumors of wars right now. That's what's going on in... uh, Ukraine, that's what's going on in Israel. <clears throat> that's what's going on all over the earth uh, for generations and generations. And I was thinking about this as I was meditating on it. I don't know how many of you all study history. I did a, a study one time on all the dictators in the world. Uh, there's too many of them to mention. And they ki- killed their own people. I think Mao Zedong was the Chinese leader that killed the most of his own people. He killed uh, six million people, uh, his own own people. Now Hitler tried, his goal was to kill 11 million Jews, but, you know, he was German, so he was, but he killed his own people, gypsies, homosexuals, um, but mainly Jews. But he only killed, I, I'm sorry, Mao Zedong killed 60 million of his own people. And then you go down uh, or back or forth, King, uh, Genghis Khan, um, <clears throat> Stalin, Lenin, they killed their own people. They're still doing it today. Uh, if you ever see news, news broadcasts where in other countries uh, that are run by dictators, and you'll see that they will blur out their face so anybody that's watching can't stop uh, and identify them and have them killed. China, uh, all of these dictator countries have the same MO. They all believe 
that they have a mandate from their God, whoever that may be. They believe they have a mandate from God to dominate the world, to take over the world. And I was thinking about that, and I went back to something that I had remembered in world history. Napoleon, uh, the Napoleonic Wars, Napoleon was one of those that wanted to dominate the world. I mean, all of his campaigns, all of his wars, he was after uh, world domination. And if you go back and read in Isaiah and Ezekiel, that was Satan's goal. That was Satan's goal from the very beginning. He wanted to be God. He wanted to take over the world. And all these dictators, all of the ones that rise up in centuries past and centuries future, if Jesus tarries, they all have one goal, and that is to take over the world. You have the World Economic Forum. Uh, you have Klaus Schwab. You have George Soros. They're all financing this World Economic Forum. They're wanting to take over the world. And uh, they know that they can bring America down. They can take the rest of the, of the world, of the nations. So, uh, you know, uh, the Muslims say that um, uh, the United States is the big Satan and Israel is the little Satan. Uh, they want to take over the world. Uh, the reason, and you'll hear these things on these um, political talk shows, the reason, I, and I hear it every once in a while, and I hear the, the president um, confirming that he is for a two-state solution in the Middle East. That will never happen, and it will never work, simply because uh, Muslims, Arabs, do not want a two-state solution. They do not want Israel to exist. <laughs> They're not going to form any peace with Israel whatsoever. They're they, they will only be satisfied if uh, Israel is uh, annihilated, eliminated off the earth. And so few people know that. You know, all the uh, riots that we're seeing now in colleges and universities, the anti-Semitism, we've dealt with this with CUFI, Christians United for Israel, for years now, 16 years. We have CUFI on campus. We have CUFI uh, liaisons on all, about 300 college campuses uh, in America. And they deal with this all the time. Anytime they have a rally on the campus and they get up to speak about Christians United for Israel, uh, mostly uh, the Muslims will shout them down or run them off. And now you've got college presidents that are signing on to uh, be uh, Jew haters. And they've had some real problems. Some of the Harvard's major donors have said, if you keep peddling this thing, I'm going to withdraw my finances. And so that's what's going on. And uh, the two-state solution is not biblical. Uh, I think I said this the last time. Um, there is no such people as Palestinians. They originated from the Philistines. Uh, and there's no such land as Palestine. That was a term that was given I think somewhere in the World War II uh, time period. And they assigned that land and called it Palestine. And the people there, Palestinians. But that is not biblical. And so 
the Jews own the land. They're not occupying the land. Uh, they own it because it was given to them yes. by covenant yes. and by contract. Yes. And, and that brings another thought, and I'm just kind of throwing some of these things out here. Uh, in Genesis 16, I think I read this to you last time, uh, Ishmael, uh, his, his name, and the Scripture says in Genesis 16, that he will be a wild man. Uh, every hand will, uh, he will be against every man, and every man's hand will be against him. Ishmael was the son, the offspring, of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham kind of jumped the gun because uh, he was trying to figure out how he's going to be um, father of nations, and he had no heir. And so um, Sarah, and she probably regretted it afterwards, but she told him that, and it was permissible in that culture at that time, that he could raise up seed with her maidservant. So Abraham and uh, Hagar produced Ishmael. And then later, <laughs> Isaac came along, and now they had a problem. And then, of course, I've heard and heard it taught when Abraham, uh, when Ishmael and Isaac went to honor their father, Abraham, uh, when he died. Uh, that they uh, kind of came back together to honor their father uh, <clears throat> at his death. Uh, that really, uh, now they did uh, come together, but it never, it never solved the schism that was between them. And what we're seeing now in Israel and around the world, in fact, there are more Muslims in Asian countries than there are Middle East countries. And uh, their goal is to take over the world. And what we're seeing now is the extension of a family feud. The family feud from uh, descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. But what I was uh, thinking about that, there's something much more important and powerful than just two half-brothers having the same father. Yes, Abraham is the father of the Arabs. He's the father of the Jews. And through Jesus Christ... He's the father of Christians. Galatians said, if you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But put the genealogies aside, if you will, because that's not what makes the case. What makes the case, if you keep reading in Genesis, is Isaac was the promised son. Ishmael was not. Ishmael was the son of a bondservant. Yes. Isaac was the son of Abraham, and it was a supernatural birth. God supernaturally uh, caused um, Sarah to conceive. So the difference, what makes the difference is not the genealogy, the heritage. We know what that says. We know what Ishmael and his descendants became. We know what they're doing today. And they hate the descendants of Isaac. And uh, the, the, the seal is not the genealogy. The seal is what God said that Isaac was the promised son and Ishmael was the bond son, bond slave. And it expands that in Galatians. 
Now, uh, another question, and I watch these news programs and these people are trying to get some answers, and they don't understand where all of the anti-Semitism comes from. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, where do you think all the hatred in the world came from? Because that's what anti-Semitism is. It's aimed at one people group. But there have been lots of people groups. I mean, the Jews are probably the most persecuted in the history of civilization. But then you had the American Indians, Native Americans uh, on every continent. Uh, you know, the American Indians, the Native American Indians were probably persecuted and slaughtered and stolen from more than any race of people we know here. Then the African Americans through slavery, uh, but nobody has been persecuted like uh, the Jews. So where does all this hate come from? Because hate is no respecter of persons. <laughs> I had a lady come to see me when I was pastoring, and she came, made a appointment to see me, and she sat in, in front of my desk, and she said, Pastor Caldwell, she said, I just want you to know that I have hated you. I thought, make my day. I've hated you. And so I asked her, I said, well, can I ask you why you hate me? She says, because you're white. And I was completely disarmed. And I said to her, I said, nothing I can do about that. I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with my race or my color. She said, oh, well, I don't hate you now. I said, well, that's good. Why not? She says, because since I started coming to this church, she said, I have learned about the love of God. And she said, I don't, I don't hate you anymore. But I thought, okay, where did this hate come from? So I asked her. I said, can you tell me? She said, oh, yes. She said, when I was a little girl, uh, the Ku Klux Klux Klan came and burned a cross in my yard, threw rocks through my windows, and uh, were going to shoot my daddy. And she says, and I was a little girl, and I saw all this. She said, well, that's where the hatred came from, and, and that was the association. And so she said, I had to deal with that, and it wasn't until I started hearing the word of faith and the love of God that I realized that everything that I had experienced, even though it was very real, it wasn't right. And she said, I learned the difference between hate and love. Okay, where, where do you think hate came from? Now, there's lots of scriptures talk about you got to love your brother and not to hate and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I went over to, to Genesis. I just happened to think of this. The first murder in the Bible, the first killing in the Bible uh, was between who? Cain and Abel. Cain rose up and slew his brother. Call it jealousy, call it hate, whatever you want to. But it was hate. He hated his brother. Hate is a spirit. It is so powerful. And you can't counsel it. You can't negotiate. You, <laughs> you can't rehabilitate you have to cast it out. You have to deal with that spirit of hatred. And that's what we've got that's going on right now internationally. We've got a spirit of hate that's out there. And I would, I would dare to say accurately, I would think that in this room, I don't think there's probably 
anybody in here, uh, well, I don't know, that has ever experienced hate, hatred. Uh, some people hate because of the color of your skin, your nationality, or uh, whatever it is, but uh, real biblical hate is a spirit. And we're all born of God, and the Bible says uh, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Now, you might have some prejudices. You might have some things you had to deal with being raised or heard languages or heard stories or heard people's wrath and uh, all of that kind of stuff. You may have to deal with some of those things, but I don't think it's real uh, Bible hate. I don't think it's a real spirit. You know, we've misjudged so many things. Uh, you might think, well, I, I don't, I don't want to be prejudiced. Well, let me ask you this. Um, if, you, if you're driving a car, an automobile that you like, made by Ford, GMC, um, Chevrolet, Buick, well, they don't make Pontiacs anymore, do they? <laughs> um, uh, foreign cars, Mercedes, uh, Volvo, uh, you name it, and you like, and your favorite color is red. You know, you could say you were prejudiced the type of car you drive. You were prejudiced to red Volvos or red Corvettes or maybe you like black or maybe you like gray. Uh, Jeannie's always looking at the color of cars that are out there. And what would you come up with? Is it the white cars are the ones that are the most, and then there's black, and then there's a few White, black, and red. That's and yeah. Then multicolors, whatever that means. Who was it, the race car driver, Petty? Um, Richard Petty, yeah. You know, where he, you know, he had a very distinct green that he painted his cars. Have you ever, have you ever heard his story of how they came up with that color? Because it's unique. He said, well, when I got ready to paint my car, the one he had built to drag race, he said, I didn't have enough paint of any one color uh, to paint the car. So he said, I took all the paints that I had in my garage and poured them all together, and this is what came out. So that's where the Richard Petty Green car came from. Okay, back to the scriptures. I was saving this next verse because that's what I want to deal with tonight. Verse 8, Matthew 24, 8. All these, all the things that he talked to the disciples about in, uh, from verse 3 to verse 7, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Say that out loud with me if you would. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Say the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows. And I've read that so many times and meditated on it. I wanted to find out what sorrows he's talking about. The beginning of sorrow. So my message uh, tonight would be the beginning of sorrows or, sor or sorrows. Now, if you look it up, you're going to get different and varied definitions. Here's, here's some of the definitions of sorrows. Pain, travail, grief, loss, Regret, distress, 
All those words describe what sorrows means. So Jesus said to his disciples, everything that I just told you about is the beginning of sorrows. Now keep in mind, these disciples, they're Jewish disciples. They are not born again. They don't know a thing about the end time. They don't know a thing about... All all these men were looking for was for Messiah to come and establish the kingdom. That's what they were looking for. They were waiting for a Messiah to come and and build uh, the kingdom of God on earth. At this time, they're under the boot heel of Rome. Uh, You know, they wanted a Messiah to come and deliver them. They don't have any understanding of anything else, and they're asking him all these questions. Flip over to Matthew 12 real quick, because they're always asking for signs. And uh, there's still a lot of their descendants around today. They're all looking for signs. Show me a sign. In Matthew 12 and verse 38, certain of the scribes of the Pharisees answered and said, Master, we would see a sign from you. And Jesus answered and said, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Well, that would have sat me down in my chair right away. (laughs) We'd like to see a sign. An adulterous (laughs) generation, evil, seeks after a sign. Yes, sir, forgive me for asking. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And then he explains what he meant by that. Jonas was three days, and he goes through this entire uh, dialogue. And when he gets down to verse 41, he talked about Nineveh. And he said, and Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonas. Behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Then he goes down to the next verse, verse 42, and he talks about uh, the wisdom of Solomon, and there's a greater, there's greater than Solomon is here. <clears throat> and if you study out Jonah's missionary trip to Nineveh uh, and Abraham's uh, bartering with God about Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah refused to repent from their sin. But Nineveh repented, and 120,000 people were saved. In Sodom and Gomorrah, none of them were saved. They couldn't even find 10. So what Jesus was saying to the disciples in Matthew 12 is the sign of the prophet Jonas was the sign of preaching, repentance. Now, you can, you can also apply it to death, burial, and resurrection, of Christ, but if you apply it to the preaching of the gospel and the people that heard the preaching repented and they were saved, he said, There's not going to be any sign to this evil and adulterous generation. Now, you know, you hear the word tolerance and everybody's, you know, wanting uh, the, uh, the Israelis to stop the war and have some compassion and tolerance and 
so forth and have a pause and let people go. And it sounds really humane. Uh, let's get some humanitarian stuff in there. But God is a just God. And in Genesis, when God was dealing with Abraham, Abraham said, I know you're the God of all the earth and you do right. You're just. Justice demands. Are you hearing me? Justice demands that God deal with sin, rebellion, and rejection. And that's what Israel is going to be judged for during the tribulation period, which is what Jesus was trying to tell the disciples, what you're experiencing or going to experience is just the beginning. It's going to get worse. The beginning of sorrows, the beginning of pain, travail, grief, loss, regret, distress. This is just the beginning, guys. But it's going to get much worse. And, you know, there's always the question, well, how can a loving God pour out his wrath on his people because he's just. (laughs) He has to judge sin. He has to judge rebellion. If he doesn't judge, he's not just, then Satan can destroy his kingdom because he can call him unjust. My daddy always told me, he said, son... If you will always tell me the truth, I won't spank you. But if you lie to me, I'll spank you. It's, it's humorous, but it's a, it's a great truth. One, uh, as a little boy, we had a club down in the sewer. Because you could take the manhole cover off and go yeah. down in the sewer. It's big down there. Yeah. I mean, for... A little boy, nine, ten years old, we'd go down. We had a club, and we would smoke um, cigarette butts, and we would smoke cigars that we made out of brown wrapping paper and packing straw. I tell you what, that'll kill you <laughs> if you take a big inhale on that, and all that fire and everything just goes down your throat. But anyway, we were down there one day, and we getting ready to go home and pop the manhole cover off, and popped out of there, and three, four year little boys jumped out. And, and my sister was walking home from school, and she saw me. And she said, Bubba, I saw you down there smoking. I'm going to go tell Daddy. Well, in those days, there was no air conditioning, so she went and told Daddy. And when I got to the house, he was sitting in the swing on the front porch waiting for me. He said, come here, son, sit down beside me. So I did. He said, you been smoking? I said, no, sir. He said, are you sure? I said, no, sir. He bent me over his knee and wore me out. And then he said, now, I didn't spank you for smoking. He said, I spanked you for lying. And so my lightning fast mind at nine years old was, it's okay to smoke, but it ain't okay to lie. (laughs) But he made a believer out of me. He let me know. I, I have to be just. And he was the same way with my sister. He, he had to be the same with both of us. Yeah. And he was just in his dealings with us. Well, God is more just. He's more just to deal. Uh, and the tribulation, basically, not, you know, my Lord, we, 
we could spend from now until the rapture going through all the details of the tribulation, Daniel's 70 weeks and um, Jacob's trouble. We could go through and we could get all the dates and all everything. But generally speaking, the tribulation is, is basically going to be centered up on Israel and non-Jewish nations uh, and those that have rejected Messiah, rebelled against God. And, and Israel has rebelled against God from the beginning. I mean, they denied him. They denied the Messiah. They rebelled against him. God in himself called them a stiff-necked people. Moses even said, God, just kill all these people. He said, just, and we'll start over again. I mean, but some of you all may have had or may have been uh, a troubled, had a troubled child or uh, had troubles yourself or had all kinds of problems, drugs, alcohol, rebellion, criminal activities and all that. But your mama still loved you. Basically, she did. Mama still loves you. She put up with a lot. Why? She's your mama. She loves you unconditionally. Not so much daddy, but mama. (laughs) But uh, the Bible says that the father, in Proverbs it says the father is to be the instructor. So it's nothing wrong, dads, for you to be an instructor. When little Johnny comes in, he's wrecked his bicycle because he was being disobedient and cut his knee and whatever. Mama puts curacomb on the knee and bandages it and kisses him and prays for him. Daddy gives him a lecture. And there's a lot of fathers have been, you know, tormented by that. That's your job. My dad and I were only 20 years apart in age, and we were best buddies. But believe you me, I knew when the best buddy stopped and the father started. I mean, I knew knew the difference. You honor your father. That's why I know I'm going to live a long time, because I honored my mother and father. And the Bible says you'll live a long life if you honor your mother and father. In my generation, the kids always called their parents the old man and the old lady. You don't have to raise your hand, but you remember that? My, my old man or my old lady. I never did that. I didn't like it when I heard it. But I would never call my father the old man or, the, or my mother the old lady. So, And I always honored them. Even after they died, I honored them. But that's why I know I'm going to live a long life uh, is because that, that's, the, that's one of the benefits of honoring your parents. Okay, where are we now? Jesus told his disciples, this is the beginning of sorrows. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm not going to take time to read all of it. Oh, by the way, while you're going over there, stop at Romans 8.22. Romans 8.22, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. I don't know, 1,600 scientists all signed that Climate change was a hoax. It was designed to fund uh, research in the name of climate change. Climate change gets blamed for just about everything. Oh, it's climate change. It's climate change. It's climate change. Well, the founder of the Weather Channel, John Coleman, even went so far as to say climate change is a hoax. 1,600 scientists signed on and said, uh, we agree. We've always had climate change. Climate, chi- climate has changed for eons and eons. 
But what we're seeing now, Jesus said, famines, earthquakes, whatever. Verse 22, Romans 8, We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Pain was one of the definitions of sorrows. So the earth is simply reacting to sin. It's being affected by it. It's being hurt by it. You remember one time, one place, and I don't remember scripture verse, the angels and, and they were told not to hurt the earth. Now we're not, we're not talking about uh, tree huggers and uh, you know the green deal. We're talking about uh, sin has affected uh, our planet our earth, and the whole creation is groaning and in pain at this particular uh, time. I like these little things. I don't want to bore you with them or get off track, but I like to, uh, when I go to the grocery store, and I like to do the shopping, and I do a lot of the cooking, and we both eat, but uh, <clears throat> I like to find out the uh, origin, all of the fruits and vegetables. And I don't understand why we in America, we've got southern climates, we've got Texas, we've got Louisiana, we've got Florida, deep south, we've got California, which is the major producer of fruits and vegetables year-round for the U.S. But I was in a store the other day, and and I went to three stores looking for blueberries. There were no blueberries. And one produce manager asked him about it. He said, well, he said, we have a policy in this store that we are bound, or however you said it, to buy blueberries uh, from the states and from the country that our stores are in. I said, well, every time I buy blueberries in the wintertime, it says they came from Peru or Chile or Argentina. I said, why can't you buy those? I said, I bought them in here before. He said, well, we're, we, unless we can't get them, in California and Florida or whatever, we don't buy them <clears throat> from Peru. Avocados, most of them come from Mexico. And you'll get cantaloupes and sometimes Costa Rica. I mean, uh, produce is real interesting to me, and it comes from all over the world. Why can't we grow more fruits and vegetables right here in the States? Yeah. We've got the climate in some of our southern states. I mean, you might have to go, you know, south down to South America and some of the northern countries of, uh, of South America. But why can't we, why can't we do that? Uh, <clears throat> now, I was in the Navy. We, our ship pulled into Veracruz, Mexico one time. And the, the uh, Mexican farmers came in the little canoes, Piro, uh, like in South Louisiana. And they came up to the side of the ship and you could buy all the fruits and vegetables you wanted. I mean, they were, they were selling them to the U.S. Navy fleet down there. They'd pull up to the side and they'd sell you all of the fruits and vegetables that, that you wanted. You just give them your money and they'd give you a basket full of stuff. I, I don't know. Those things have always been interesting to me uh, about the earth and the production of the... Uh, because God told Adam, he said, I'll give you uh, every seeding seed that you need, and to you it shall be for, for plenty. And the reason that a lot of our stuff is, you know, not available is uh, the earth is 
groaning and travailing. Now, if you go to Israel, <clears throat> you go to Israel today, and you can drive up and down those freeways, and you will see acres and acres and acres of cotton, soybeans, bananas, grapefruit, what they call them, pomonas. You, you can see uh, dates, date trees. You can see, uh, man, it, it, Israel is the uh, bread basket, the fruit basket of Europe. And flowers, every night, midnight, you can see those 747s taking off, going to Paris and London. and uh, <clears throat> They're carrying fresh-cut flowers. They're carrying fruits and vegetables. It's just amazing how God has set all this up. But because of our greed, our covetousness, and whatever else, our pollution, the earth is groaning and travailing, and that is going to continue. That's where we are right now. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 4, the Apostle Paul said, these are perilous times. And, and if you read that and you listen to what... Uh, he says, let me get over there, Second Timothy chapter 3 and beginning with verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. And then he tells you what that means. Men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce makers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Back up to verse 2. Uh, excuse me, verse 3, without natural affection. If you watch the, um, and I don't normally watch these things, but I, I am curious sometimes as to what is said. If you watch the last um, a Republican presidential debate, or if you uh, follow the elections that were held last Tuesday around the country, did you notice that abortion is back up to the top of the table now? It's number one. It's the number one issue, and the reason it's and they're going to make it an issue. Some of them are trying to, you know say, okay, this needs to be a state issue. But no, uh, major political parties don't want it to be a state issue. There's some, they want it to be a federal issue. And in Ohio, and we know one of the senators in Ohio, they worked so hard to pass the heartbeat bill uh, several years ago. But now in, in Ohio, uh, abortion is a guarantee uh, of the state. It's, it's written into their laws, guaranteed abortion rights. And that's what Roe versus Wade overthrown was all about. It never was designed to be a national right. And they always use the, the, the pro-abortionists always use the freedom to choose, the right to choose. Well, what about the baby's right to choose? That's what the pro-lifers are saying. Hey, we're standing up for the children. Uh, the woman has the right to her own body. She has the right to make decisions about her own body. Uh, but when does murder ever become a constitutional right? You know, and that, that's the, I don't think that will ever be solved. I don't think that uh, the human race at this time 
can ever solve that and answer that question to satisfy everybody. And uh, I, I think all of the babies that we've killed, 63 million babies, and President Reagan wrote a book called Abortion, the Conscience of a Nation. He said if we keep killing babies, we will sear our conscience as a nation. Well, it's already seared. And Mother Teresa said if you keep killing the babies, a nation will lose their soul. Well, we've lost our soul. And we've seared our conscience. But we just keep doing these same things over and over and over. Um, I, I'm not, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go back to uh, some of these scriptures that I had on here. The beginning of calamities that precede the tribulation. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. This is the beginning of sorrow. So when they start happening, and the only reason I'm teaching this to you, and I teach it on Arkansas Live, is so you will know what the scripture says, and you will not be tormented, fearful. Now we're hearing more and more talk of World War III uh, by military professionals. But according to the scriptures, now nobody knows the exact time from the rapture of the church to the beginning of the tribulation. Nobody knows how many weeks, days, months, years. Some people say it could be all in 24 hours. Some people say it could take three or four years. But we do know that after the rapture of the church, the church is caught up into, into heaven. And after Revelation chapter 4, the church is no longer uh, mentioned and seen on the earth. So we do know that Russia's conquest of Israel, Ezekiel 38 and 39, cannot take place until after the church is gone. Because Paul said, 2 Thessalonians, that the church is the restrainer that is preventing the Antichrist, the beast system, the false prophet. It's preventing the tribulation from starting. The apostasy, the falling away of the church, or as one translation said, the departure of the church. Now, there are those that have split that in half. They say it's talking about the departure of the church from faith, the departure of faith. The church quit using their faith. The church quit operating in faith. But there are others saying, well, it means more than that. It means the church is gone. It means the church has departed out of the earth in heaven with Christ. We're at the judgment seat of, the, of Christ. We're at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, we're enjoying ourselves for seven years. We're getting rewarded for everything we've done in the body. And the world is going through seven years of tribulation. And that's, that's another whole topic. And that's why I brought this. If you want to get, I think they have it back there, Jeannie's book on a study of revelation. And she, she goes through the general uh, events that are going to take place and who's going to be involved. You know, one author says the Antichrist will rule the whole world. Another author says the Antichrist will only rule Europe and the ten nations of the Roman old Roman Empire. Uh, so, you know, there's different opinions. But the general facts are the same. Church is out of here. We don't know how long it'll take before uh, Russia invades Israel from the north. Uh, but when that happens, 
I heard a, a general, a retired general, say the other day that that would probably uh, be um, World War III. But if you go back and look, I did one time, and you study World War I, World War II, and you look at the term, the phrase, language, World War, and World War I, World War II, there were only about 30 nations that were involved in these world wars. So if you want to be real stingy and strict, you know, it, it, didn't, it didn't involve the whole world. It was only about 30 or so nations uh, in each one of those world wars. And some of them were just sucked into it. They really didn't have any choice. They didn't want to start a war. They didn't want to become part of the war machine, but, you know, their neighbor wanted to inv- in, uh, invade them and wanted to take over their land, just like Ukraine. So they, they shot back and, you know, fought back. And, of course, that included them in uh, uh, the war. Let me close it with this. Jesus told his disciples, don't be deceived. And I read this to you. It's common for civil events to be exaggerated. For whatever reason, fame, fortune, notoriety, money. Uh, We make too much of prophetic illusions. And I say that in this this book here, Seasons, Signs, and Spiritual Things. And again, it's it's, it's not to deny prophesying, but it's to take all of the foolishness uh, out of end times and prophecy and so forth. They make prophetic illusions out of every war or social disturbance. Christians should avoid trying to fit passing events into God's secret plans because Deuteronomy 29.29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. Only the things that are revealed belong to man. But the secret things belong to God. And I, I was listening to one of the prophecy programs that are, that's on VTM today. I mean, I mean, that's, yeah, it was a few weeks ago, the prophecy programs that run on Saturday afternoon. And they, they were talking about a new book that's out now, and, and they were been talking about some of the events. And it's called Beyond... Genesis. And I, I listen to these things and I analyze them. Beyond Genesis? What does that mean? And they're talking about what happened before Genesis. And they're quoting not the Bible, but they're quoting books and commentaries. And, and I got to think it. Well, Okay, beyond Genesis. My Bible says, Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God. (laughs) So there isn't anything beyond Genesis. In the beginning, it was God. And if you read Genesis and everything in it, he'll, he'll tell you. Everything you need to know. Now, there's a lot of stuff out there that you can buy, the book of this and the book of that and 
who wrote this and who wrote that, but they're not in the Bible. Okay, moving right along. Amen. The end of the world. Jesus said the end is not yet. The end of the world represents a timeline, not a description. Think about it. The end of the world. He's, he's not giving you a description. Although if you read all the scriptures that have to do with the tribulation period, and I didn't get into it in detail, the death and destruction is unimaginable. The slaughter. Um, I was reading David Reagan's book on the end time wars the other day, and he lists all of the military hardware that we have in America and what Russia has, what China has. It is absolutely unbelievable, unimaginable, the bombs, the nuclear warheads, and everything that everybody has. And what would happen if we all attacked each other? It would just be a, a meltdown. It would be an inferno. It would be... Did you see the movie they made, Indiana Jones movie, uh, The Raiders of the Lost Ark? And when they found the ark and they tied up Indiana and his girlfriend and they were going to open the ark and Indiana Jones told whoever it was, don't look, just keep your eyes shut. Don't look, Ethel, just keep your eyes shut. And they opened that ark and these spirits came out and whatever and, and all of the German soldiers were looking and seeing what was going on and then all of a sudden their flesh started melting off of their bones like a wax figure. We have enough kiloton bombs to destroy the world. Yeah. Hmm. And we have submarines that can hit any city yeah. in any continent of the world that are out there in the ocean right now. And all they have to do is push the button. And that, that missile, I said rocket, it's a missile. That missile could go, uh, let's say uh, some of our ships, uh, submarines are in the North Atlantic or over in the Mediterranean. They can shoot a missile <clears throat> straight up and hit Moscow. They can hit China. They can hit anywhere in the world and obliterate and destroy. Oh, boy, that's scary, isn't it? But it's not for us to be scary. And we're going to be sitting at the table with Jesus <laughs> having uh, the Lord's Supper. So let me close. The, the, the important thing to get about, out of all of this, I didn't go into tribulation in detail, that Jesus told his disciples, these are the beginning of sorrows. And the first thing he warned them about and told them to do is to see to it that you're not deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't take everything that anybody says. Now there's a lot of speculation on what's going to happen in the 2024 elections and uh, who's going to be there and who's not going to be there and why and blah, blah, blah. And, 
and nobody knows or nobody's telling or nobody. You don't know, so you're going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit what to do. The Lord will take care of you. He'll tell you who to vote for and who not to vote for. You just got to be and not be deceived. Don't let the iniquity that's in the world allow your love to wax cold. Don't allow imaginations to exaggerate every bit of civil commotion. There will be plenty of that. But remember the words of Jesus. The end is not yet. Amen? Walk in love. Don't let everything that's going on cause your love to wax cold. Because love is the strongest force in the universe. And, and if you read the letters in Revelation to the seven churches, Jesus was very emphatic that you keep your love, that you walk in love, walk in forgiveness. Uh, don't make judgments based on what you see here, taste, touch, smell out there. Make judgments based on what the Word of God says. And you're going to get rewarded for, for walking in love. Amen? Father, we thank you for your Word tonight. I pray that it be a fortress that you've released revelation of it down on the inside of each one of us. It becomes a stronghold. You've renewed our minds. Thank you, Father. We are not fearful. We're not anxious. And we're not deceived in the name of Jesus. And everybody believes that said, Amen. Thank you all for being such a receptive uh, church body. Amen.